Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by co-host Dilly Algemer to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly, what's up? Hi, Nick. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I could say that I'm tired, but we've already had that conversation off mic, and it's basically what I said last week, so there's no real point. What about you? How, how are things? And I will be expecting you to say that for the next 18 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least the next three, I expect. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, just judging away my neighbors. That's that's that. <gasps> oh, what's happening with your neighbors? He's watering his grass. That's what's happening with my neighbors, Nick. Is that a bad thing? Am I not meant to water my grass? What if it goes yellow and brown and... Okay, when I say grass, I mean the conventional grass. And uh, that's that's all he has in his garden. Mm-hmm. Apart mm-hmm. from like 10 strawberry plants in a bed. He just has an acre of grass. <laughs> and he doesn't walk on it. Is it watering it with like a sprinkler system or is yeah. it watering it with a hose? He waters it with an elaborate sprinkler system. Ooh. Twice a day, and in the middle of the day, he has a robot lawnmower. Twice a day? Yeah, he waters it twice a day. And that's oh. all he has in his garden. Mm-hmm. He has sunshine all the live long day, and he, that's all he grows, just fucking grass. My feeling is, I, I, I try and water it every couple of days just to keep it sort of from drying out, because my daughter does run on it a lot. And so my ultimate concern is that I don't want to waste water, right? There's a big discussion about why lawns are really bad for the environment because they use a lot of water. Okay. And I don't want to yes. I don't want to overuse it. And actually we've already um, investigated trying to find some kind of uh I forget what they call them, like a drum to collect rainwater so I can use mm-hmm. that to to water the grass. I'm trying to conceive of some kind of irrigation system like I'm a an ancient farmer from Mesopotamia. I'm going to dig myself mm-hmm. an irrigation ditch and try and collect w- rainwater so I can water me crops. But um, yeah, everything's basically dying in my garden. I need to ask you though, so when you say you have a patch of grass on which your daughter walks, how mm. big is this patch of grass? Is Does it cover the entire span of your garden, Nick? No, no, we've got, um, we've got like, we've got a lawn. So it's like standard lawn mm. size. I don't, I've never measured it particularly, but I laid it and it's my sort of, it's kind of like my third child because I, uh, I spent so much time flattening the, the ground and, and making it perfect. And then I spent an entire weekend laying a lawn last year. And so I've got a lot of sort of passion for it, but it, it it's basically been beaten to death by my, my daughter running along it and We've now put a sandbox on it. We've got one of these kind of um, a sand casting for my daughter and that sits on the lawn and every time I look at it, I'm like, the lawn's dead under there. I know it's dead. <laughs> so, it, so it hurts my feelings a bit. But I try and look after it, but at the same time, I don't want to like be overusing water because it's, Thank it's you. coming up to that point, you know. But so twice a day seems a bit excessive. It is excessive. It's excessive because he waters his lawn twice a day, even when it fucking rains. So- <laughs> what a prick. <laughs> I like the idea, though, Dilly, that you're like, uh, uh, you're twitching at the neck curtains, sort of looking out, going, oh, yeah. no, I can't believe that. Bloody neighbor. And sort of shaking your fist into the yeah. air. Is that what you're doing? Are you the, uh, that the is what I'm neighbor? doing. 
the other day so i have a second neighbor who uh, who is uh, who doesn't say no to a light bit of arson action and what? yes <laughs> he sets fire to things in his what kind garden of things? what kind of things is he set fire to plastic plastic oh fucking hell bloody hell fucking what? hell oh, so the oh. the good german that i am i looked all of this up on the net like is this allowed no it's not allowed nick you can't set fire to plastic in your garden no it's you called, can't i have to look this up it's incredibly it's incredibly illegal as far as i'm aware there's a lot of restrictions at least in bavaria there's a lot of restrictions about what you can and can't burn what i did discover is you can you can buy a flamethrower for burning weeds that's acceptable uh-huh. And I've always wanted to own a flamethrower, so I mean, that would be quite fun. But at the same time, environmental hazard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I do bloody hate weeds, so. Ah, I need to ask you. I need to ask you this: mm-hmm. Do you use weed killer? No, I would like to, but again, I'm kind of too soft. I'll make my own out of vinegar. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> You know, I'm very glad. I'm very glad I know you because I would have judged you if you'd said that a lawn is all you have. Because I judge people who have only lawns and don't have like a flower or a or a or a raspberry bush or something. So we've got the typical Rhine house. So we've got a back garden. And we've got like a front bit as well, mm. and the front bit's got a lot more flowers, whereas yeah. the back's more functional and you can sort of grow. We've got we're trying to grow salad. We've been really good in the past at growing kind of vegetables and stuff mm. like that, but this year obviously for we were slightly distracted so a lot of stuff hasn't quite grown the way we'd hoped weed killer is actually really hard to get if you go to the uh if you go to the diy shop uh, the bow marked around the corner from us um mm. you can buy you can pick up the drills and you can pick up the saws and you can pick up the hammers and the axes and you can swing them around your head but if you want to buy weed killer it's behind some kind of protective glass as it should be along with the rat poison and all the other things so and I'm always intimidated because I, I don't really want to ask for it because I feel like they'll, they'll sort of look down on me for it's kind of like should. admitting defeat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you find out the name of this law then? Have you discovered it yet? Or have you been too distracted with your anger about weed killer? Luftverschmutzung. That's the word, Luftverschmutzung. It means air pollution which is what it is if you burn plastic i mean you can throw it in the recycling bin and mm. unless you're getting rid of a murder weapon you can't be getting rid of a murder weapon because who would use plastic to kill someone when why <laughs> well delhi i i'm i'm i mean this your lack of imagination really is quite disturbing <laughs> it is imagination when i talk about murder i'm reading pd james right now so this is why I've read a lot of Sherlock Holmes and uh, and and watched a lot of uh, sort of uh, detective stories. So I know mm-hmm. plastics usages when it comes to the uh, the ultimate crime. But yeah, I think that's the problem when you have neighbours who do things that are outright ridiculous and annoying. It can be a bit of a problem. And and now it's summer as well. We've got that situation yeah. where you're seeing your neighbours a lot more in their in their gardens and, in, yeah, and out on the outside. Exactly. Um, I see these people, Nick, pulling up their dandelions. Uh, I mm-hmm. judge people for pulling up their dandelions. Yeah, but you don't want dandelions, man. And wildflowers. Wildflowers are fine, but you don't want like loads of dandelions, because my landlord, my landlord, or the house for Valto. It could be, you know, they were maybe the, it was a conspiracy. Maybe they were in it together. I don't know. So I blame them both. You know, there is a small patch of garden that belongs to the building, and it had beautiful dandelions. Just, just. 
the entirety of it. And I could look down from my balcony onto the garden and it looked beautiful. And one day they just had it all just raised off. Well, they're pernicious little bastards. And if you let them grow, then they will just like, they'll just, they'll just be more and more. <laughs> what I do I now want... is I, 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 I scattered poppy seeds and I water it all the way from my balcony every day. Poppy seeds are great. Poppies are great. I think they're a fantastic flower. They're one of the few mm. flowers we don't see a lot. The only time you see a poppy in Britain usually is is on uh, is the run up to Remembrance Sunday, and everybody and mm. their and their dog has a, a literally their dog has a um, a poppy of, to, to to show their um, support for for the sort of remembrance services. But mm. um, we've got neighbours who've got poppies, and it was really nice this year because they're again one of those species that tend to like just grow and grow and sort of appear in random places it's beautiful we got, yeah exactly and the, we got poppies in our garden um earlier this year and that was really you nice you had and, poppies in your garden yeah yeah we didn't plant them they just the wild they, they grew wild from the neighbors and did you let them grow wild from the neighbors of course i did they're beautiful they're really lovely one of the great things is we've got a lot of farmland so there's there's like the half uh, near us at the moment they have like a field it's really funny. There's like a field of um, that they've de- the the farm farming area sort mm-hmm. of. Uh, I don't know why I've forgotten the term for a farming field. <laughs> it's like a field for farming, and it's they, they they've dedicated a certain section as some places do in buying to like growing wildflowers for people to pick, and you can sort of donate some money, or if you're a scumbag, donate no money and pick the flowers if you want. But there's so many of them. And every time we drive past over the last few days, there's just, it's been like Instagram heaven. There's just loads of people Aww. just, it's, I mean, I don't want to gender it in any particular way, but it's a lot of blonde haired women standing in fields with their boyfriends taking multiple photos <laughs> on their, on their phones. And it's quite nice and people enjoy it. So, I mean, I'm not yeah. going to be massively critical. And if, yeah. if that's what Instagram wants, then Instagram's getting it. So, but yeah, I mean, those things are really nice to see. It is. Yeah. I, I agree with you. So I live in Sachsen Anhalt and we had lilacs. I mean, lilacs grow in the wild here in a way that I have not seen in Hessen ever. I lived Mm. like for what, 11, 12 years in Hessen. So just seeing huge, I mean, they're not even bushes anymore. They're just massive trees of lilacs growing. And you can see it on your way to school on my way. Well, I see it on my way to school by train. That was pretty. But the lilac season is very short, unfortunately. And then we had the poppies. Because in Hessen, along the highway between Gießen and Frankfurt, for instance, mm. uh, like a couple of years ago, we started seeing red poppies, and that was beautiful. It, I mean, it was like Instagram. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's what you want, right? It looks looks attractive. It looks lovely. Yeah, and now you have that here too. I don't know how this is happening. Uh, whether someone's actually actively working on it, whoever it is, I'm very grateful for the poppy seeders. Well, it's one of those joys of summer, isn't it? it and mm-hmm. I think I think Germany really comes alive during those sort of summer the summer months, um, especially the early summer. I think it does become a bit like draining by the time you get to August, and it's yeah, it's like three days of sun thunderstorm, three days of kind of humid weather thunderstorm, and it kind of just wears you out by the end, and you welcome autumn with open arms. But uh, there's loads of lovely little like summer activities we've been getting up to. We've got a lake by our house and and even like the first really sunny day about two weeks ago we like stepped out the house and it was like one of them vimmel books that you get for kids these books mm. that have like 
lots of different sort of activities will be like mm. in the park and it's loads of people doing different things and mm. the kids can like look at them and there's loads of little things to spot and discover but that's actually what it's like in the street like we stepped out and everyone was cycling everyone mm. walking their dogs and skateboarding and cycling and and uh, so i think i've already said cycling uh, so <laughs> lots of cycling going on and then uh hello new dad yeah, no. What are you gonna say? I'm, I'm, I had a conversation with my wife the other uh, yesterday where I was pretty sure I was saying one thing and actually saying a completely different other thing, and I, I can't control what's coming out of my mouth, which is obviously terrible for podcasting. But um, we went to the, uh, the 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 lake near our house. There's like, and it's really lovely. There's like a little cafe and there's like uh playing like Balearic beats and all that stuff and there's people sitting around the lake and then there's like the the and the, the best bit of the whole experience for me is is the fact that you see loads of different types of people so there's just like every section of society all together enjoying this experience there's no kind of oh this is for certain people or this is for other people and the the, the what typified it were the two like stereotypical punks sat on deck chairs all in black in the shade just laughing at people <laughs> that's just like i like you guys i want to hang out with you guys you look like fun and they were like wearing sort of uh uh like one of them had a no fx t-shirt and i wanted to go up and go i've seen no effects a couple of times i'm one of you secretly i know i don't look like it i know i look like a normie but <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm secretly punk but yeah so and it was and it, i thought i kind of thought about it and i said like, it's a bit different from britain where it's i don't want to sort of over egg the pudding as it were but it does feel like there's activities that are for the middle classes and there's activities for the the lower classes and and the kind of like this this park is where the the sort of upper middle class people go and this one is the one where the the poor people go and it does feel like there's that kind of vibe in in certain cities in the uk where if a load of kind of punks turned up there would be a lot of kind of pill clutching upper middle class people going like ooh, this is this is a very antisocial environment. Whereas in Germany, you just don't really have that. It's kind of like everyone just get, picks their spot, sits down, has a good time. Um, okay. Yeah, and that's really nice. And um, what I really like as well is quite often there's the, um, the groups of kind of families that bring like a barbecue and they bring like tables and they have like a full on like banquet in the park and i'm like yeah you've really you really understood this process haven't you you've really bought in the summer by like let's do this i'm gonna i'm gonna make some uh lamb kebabs on the, on the barbecue and we're all gonna have like a family meal and i'm like yeah that's that's something to, to see i really do enjoy that because you just said lamb i think i should make a confession Oh, oh, oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I noticed. Notice on our oh, resident New Zealanders is perked up. <laughs> I I actually have I, I I couldn't eat lamb or uh, or uh, veal because they're baby animals, but recently I cooked lamb. I made a gyvech, which is a Bulgarian dish. Nice. And it was amazing. And so I had to go and buy lamb to make lamb biryani for my boyfriend because he was leaving for Frankfurt. And I always give him a treat when he leaves. That's a, that's a bloody good treat, that lamb biryani. Bloody uh -huh. hell. With butter beans, butter <laughs> bean curry. I've had dinner and now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had dinner and now I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't eat. My, my wife doesn't like lamb and she doesn't really want to cook it for the same reason that you probably don't, where it's like. I thought Simon's vegetarian. What's he complaining about? Oh, well, Simon, comp- compl- he's excited by the concept of lamb because it's in his genetics as a New Zealander <laughs> that he desperately needs to know everything about sheep. Ah. Um, he probably already knows more about sheep than we will ever, ever possibly learn. <laughs> Um, he's probably he could probably tell us all about the cuts of meat. He could. I bet he's. I bet he's had an experience of shearing a sheep. I would be surprised if he hasn't. Uh, probably spent a, a, a long hot summer in the mid nineties, like catching sheep and throwing them over his shoulder. And um, he's got. He's, he's got. Listener, he's got a face uh, that suggests that I've I've hit the nail on the head. That's all I'm saying. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah. But I don't really eat lamb, but it's something that I would definitely buy into if I, if I was uh, offered the chance of a biryani for sure. Um, what are the summer activities are you up to then, Dilly? So I'm I'm down by the lake or enjoying my my lawn. What about you? Are you are you got any particular summer activities that you would you would suggest listeners get involved in? Um, thank you for asking, Nick. So apart from side eyeing my neighbours on the regular. I like growing things on my balcony. I'm a garden girl. I grew up growing things. Every afternoon I'd go out and make a mess of things and then come away with a big gardenia one day or a coconut tree. So um, I like growing things. And this time I'm trying to grow zucchini. And I'm trying to grow two, uh, two plants of yellow zucchini, two of green. I have a fire bean. Do you know what a, fi- a fire boner is? No, no, not really. It's a speckled bean. I think it's edible. I'm not going to try. It's just that the flower is like a vibrant orange and it's very pretty. And I am the big idiot that went and sat a, like, sat a, is it a, is it called a spike? What a plant can go around? Like a vine can go around? Yeah, yeah. Like a sort of thing that will stabilize it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's like the the, the five-week-old fire boner is halfway up the thingy, and I'm pretty sure that it's not going to last this summer. Oh, it's going to dry out over time. Uh, Apparently, you can't cook them. No. They don't look great, I'll be honest. But the flower is... (laughs) Yeah, they look poisonous. I mean, they look... uh, uh, My problem is, every time I search for something, it comes up with chefcock.de, and there's nothing good on that fucking website. It is dirge. (laughs) Like Honestly, the people who take photos of their food for that website, because it's like you can put your own recipes on it. And uh, some of these people really need to consider what they're putting on there. (laughs) Some of these people need to consider, like, other hobbies, because some of those (laughs) photos are icky. Yeah, they really are disgusting. <laughs> no, there's one. There's one here that's got. It, it's like, oh god, I don't even know. It's it's the fact that they try so hard to make it look nice, and yet no matter how hard they try, it still looks like a plate of sick. So um, <laughs> I've not. As I avoid chefcock.de as is a is a rule, um, just because nothing looks appetizing on there. But there are recipes available that that look awful, but I'm probably not going to try them. Um, so yeah, so you're just growing. Are you going to try and grow a coconut tree on your balcony? <laughs> oh God, have you seen the number of people in Germany who have coconuts fucking growing in their windows inside? What? Yes. No, I've never seen that. I where did I see this? There was a person. Yes, IKEA sells coconut plants, baby coconuts. 
What? You know, with the initial two leaves. Yeah, yeah. And the coconut is visible, so that people <gasps> know it's a fucking coconut. Yes, right. Yes, I have seen those. Yeah. Do you take umbrage at people growing coconuts? I do take umbrage at people growing coconuts. Do you know how tall they are? I mean, like you can't grow a coconut in your room. I mean, you can give it a go, right? Why are you so down on us attempting to grow coconut trees? I don't know. I mean, everything IKEA sells is just stuff that we have in the garden. Oh my God, Simon has a cat. He has a cat. <laughs> hey, stop getting distracted by si Simon. Simon is not the focus of this coconut-based conversation. <laughs> I feel like we've been derailed again. <laughs> and you thought Simon was going to help. Yeah, I thought he was going to be the calming influence. I mean, last we week we, no went, we went right off the rails, but um, yeah. We're doomed. We are a bit doomed. We are a bit doomed. We might as well just just get on with the rest of the show, I suppose. There is a lot to talk about. There was a, a thing that came up on Twitter today that, that we had a, like, a little conversation about that I thought was sort of worth investigating. There was a, a video posted by um, Paul Golding, who is some far-right, racisty type leader of Britain First. If you don't know what Britain First is, it's a, a marginal party of scumbags um, I'm happy to say that it's effectively a far-right party of just the most dirty people in the entire world. But he reposted this video, and it was taken from an U-Bahn, I think, in Berlin. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a bloke sitting on the U-Bahn, and he was eating food, basically. He was sort of sat with his cross-legged on a, on a seat. He had a little stool, and he had a plate of food, and he was eating it with his hands. And... It, the, the sort of comment was something like, "Oh, this is what this is what happens when you let foreigners in your country," and um, you were a bit annoyed by this uh, post. And I believe you tweeted it or retweeted it, and then mm. you deleted it. Um, what was going on there? I did retweet it at first uh, with the caption uh, "cheeky" or something. So cheeky, but he but he drank in the subway too, um, and then I deleted it because uh, for me. I mean, this is Germany. We are all about data protection. And here we have, uh, you know, rules about uh, taking photographs and videos of people and posting them on the net. And most definitely you shouldn't be uh, making fun of people. I, I thought, it, I mean, it's such a massive hit at the dignity of this man. I mean, he's having a meal. Throw the first stone, ye who has not had a meal on the train. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was—I forget who posted. It. I think I think it was James Jackson, but he said like, one of the the journalists that that I follow. He he mentioned something about isn't it the most German thing in the world that you would turn up on a U-Bahn with a little table and a and a like a a fully cooked meal and sort of the organisation element of it suggests it's very German. <laughs> but I don't know. I just it's it's one of the things I think about a lot is like how kind of. And it's something that's becoming more and more a topic that we end up discussing, which is this sort of prevalence of xenophobic, racist mm. content and the freedom for... Like, this was a group who were initially banned on Twitter and now have come back under Elon Musk's dream of free speech. And it's like, well, fuck off, is all I could think when I saw it. And and my my feeling personally, and I think the why I was kind of supportive of you of you not of deleting any kind of promotion of this stuff is like i often think when i see this stuff is it ever actually worth debating it is it mm. ever worth like spreading it because if i retweet it and it's like just making it more prevalent and the outrage to like 
the outrage machine that social media is just tends to promote it over and over again. And I don't know whether it is there's any value in challenging this stuff because I don't think it actually changes minds. I don't really think it has any impact. Um, I would like to add to that. I was thinking about what you said. I see where you're coming from. And at the same time, I think, I mean, when we retweet something, you retweet as an endorsement, but you also frame it. There is a frame in which you, I mean, you you show your stance. And when someone like Paul Golding says something completely silly and very uh, questionable, why would a person not respond, but also um, not offer a counter narrative? Why is that wrong? I mean, it's not. I mean, I guess everyone. I'm. I'm. I'm the last person who's going to police people's choice of speech or whatever necessarily. But like, or what you want to do with something like that. But what I just think is, have we not kind of learned? I think there's like an economy of of outrage that you don't have to engage with. And I, I think actually spreading it, even if you like counter, like like trying to counter that narrative or you're trying to argue against it, it still spreads it. Like what happens if no one retweeted it with their outrage? What if no one, like all the people who were outraged by it just didn't retweet it or didn't spread it? Would it die on the vine? Or would it, would it like what would happen? Like the people who follow that account Aren't, like if you follow Britain first, mm. it's the same as you follow the RFD, you know. Like, mm. and I'm like, does it change anyone's mind? Like, I don't think social media is very effective at changing people's minds. Mm. I don't think I don't think that really has that power. Mm-hmm. And so, like me engaging with it only just spreads it wider. It gives them what they want, which is the oxygen of publicity. And mm-hmm. I think. Like, what happens if you don't put these people on television? What happens, like, if you don't sort of promote it or be outraged by it? What if you just fucking ignore it? I know that the the sort of narrative has been like, you've got to fight, you've got to fight it. And I'm like, yeah, you do have to fight it, but you don't fight it by social media. You fight it on the fucking streets. That's where it's fought. It's fought in, in face-to-face discussion and debate. Um, if if needs be, but it's not. Social media isn't a tool for that, and I know as well as anybody else the kinds of stuff that people like engage with. Like, was it months ago? I was, I was stuck in a fucking discussion about whether broadside was a fucking word for snack or whether it was a word for meal, and I was just like, I don't even want to be in this discussion because it's just morons who want to take umbrage at stuff or want to be angry about stuff or just want to have an opinion. And I'm like, that's a lot of social media is people just, uh, this is my opinion. The amount of times mm. I'll tweet stuff or or, or post stuff and mm. it's like a joke and people will go, well, actually what you'll find is, and I'm like, it's a fucking joke. Chill out. Like it's, I'm not looking for a, like a conversation. I'm just making a joke about something. Uh, you don't need to explain it to me because I already know. And I think <laughs> there's a lot of that. And I kind of feel like, that debate it kind of typifies the kinds of discussions mm-hmm. you have on social media. And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I could be, but that's kind of my policy at least is mm-hmm. fucking block and ignore because I don't think I don't think me sharing it's helping. Okay, because the way I approached the video that Paul, uh, well, not the video, the post by Paul Golding, was that what he said. I mean, commenting on another person's food when you are not forced to eat it, when nobody's holding a gun to your head. 
what I saw on social media, on Twitter, then is an extension of my own experiences, eating my own food in places. Yeah, I get that. And yeah. it's part of a collection of experiences, mine and other people's. And to me, it's not that social media is a is a standalone entity. It's a reflection mm. of, I mean, it is real life. It is part of the real, I mean, it is part of life. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the everyday communication. It's part of every day. It feeds off of what we do every day and it feeds into what we do every day. Yeah. I, I remember a situation where I teach in a school and one day recently I had to take my food. I, I, I sometimes take rice and several curries. Because I like cooking Sri Lankan food sometimes. Yeah, of course. And uh, I do not eat rice and curry with a spoon. I eat it with my hand. And I do this yeah. in the staff room. And I'm very <laughs> certain that one day someone is going to grass on me to the principal who is an absolutely lovely human being. And, and I'm sure that there'll be a discussion about me eating my rice and curry with my hands in the staff room. I know what's going on in the staff room, so I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. But it was raining and I couldn't take my break. I had to go to a classroom full of students. And then I realized, fudge, I do not have a spoon. So mm. I told the class, okay, I'm, I'm going to eat your eating. I'm going to eat and I'm going to eat rice with my hands. And like, you know, I, I think I expected inoculation somehow. Yeah. And then uh, a bunch of students said, so that's the best way to eat rice. And I completely... There you go though, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's how I eat rice too. And, and it tastes so much better then. Mm -hmm. and, and they were completely fine with it. And it was an extremely humbling experience. I mm. just didn't know my audience. They were just wonderful, brilliant kids who are completely yeah. at home with themselves. I think in, in those instances, like if somebody was to say something in the staff room, that's the time where you engage and you go like, well, what is the issue here? Like, why, why do we have to be f fucking scared of... Because that's what ultimately what it is. It's fear of foreigners. It's xenophobia. It's terror <laughs> that there's someone doing something different. And and what I find so pernicious about it, so fucking annoying, especially when it comes to Britain. We, I've since we we me and you have been podcasting together. I've made it like we've made a concerted effort not to really talk about Britain. Mm. But it's something because I spend a lot of time talking about it at work because it's my fucking job. But like for British people to get annoyed about other cultures is so fucking ridiculous given that it's a country that is built on having it fucking invaded loads of countries and brought those cultures to Britain, right? Like that is British culture is the fact that for 200 years, 25% of the fucking world was controlled by British bureaucrats and fucking soldiers. Like what do you think's going to fucking happen? Like that's our history, that's our culture. And like someone eating rice with their hands... Oh, boo fucking who? Like, oh God, how terrifying that they, someone would do this on the U-Bahn. And what was so funny about the video for me was there's a bloke sitting next to this guy as he's eating his, whatever he's eating. Exactly. He doesn't give a shit. He's looking at his phone, doesn't care. And that shows what, like, the reality is. People don't fucking care because what happens on social media and what happens in fucking reality aren't the same thing. And I think that's what you're seeing with regards to like your your students is that's the that is the reality is most people don't give a shit, don't people don't care. But as soon as you start like promoting it, people are forced to have an opinion, and it won't necessarily like benefit the debate. But if you see it in person, if you're on a tram and someone's being 
abused or attacked or whatever and you do nothing that is the mark of a person but on social media it's all about promotion and it's all about self-promotion and that's really what it comes down to and i'll be mm. fucking damned if i'm gonna have britain first content on my fucking timeline <laughs> like i'm just not gonna have it it's just like i'm not gonna engage with it if he wants to come to my fucking house and discuss it i'll happily do it i'll fucking well, I'll open the door and kick him down the steps, but like into your like, lawn with the sand it's, But I just think you're not going to change his mind. You're not going to change the minds. All you're doing is perpetuating the cycle of outrage, and the cycle of outrage is where what got us Brexit, mm. got what got us Trump. It's what divides people mm. because we force everyone to have an opinion. When most people just live and let live, I think that's the reality in my experience at least, but maybe I'm just a privileged fucking middle-class white bloke. Mm -hmm. I don't see things in the same way. With the kids in the classroom, though, I have to say that was... Um, so most kids come from other countries. Yeah. So it's also the fact that it's something that they are used to. And mm. I've had... I remember my boyfriend when he started work... Uh, in his first week and I packed him lunch one day mm. and um, and he said, ah, yeah, um, already um, someone has made fun of the Indian guys at work who have curry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's 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 very disheartening. It's, it's distressing. Yeah. And I said, so are you taking lunch to work? And he said, absolutely. And if someone makes yeah. fun of it, I'm going to say, my girlfriend very lovingly cooked it for me and I'm going to eat yeah. it. And yeah. that was heartwarming on the other hand. I mean, people see the world through different sets of eyes and um, Paul Golding's is not something that I particularly like. Similar things have happened to, to me at work. I remember a long time ago when, certainly when uh, Indian IT engineers mm. started coming to Germany more and more mm. and I was partly responsible to help the communication between mm. German managers and Indian engine, uh, software engineers and hardware engineers and things like that. And I'd go down to the, the sort of kitchen in a lot of offices and there would be the uh, Indian guys cooking food and I'd be like, this is great. It smells amazing. And mm. I remember one guy like complaining about it. And I, as soon as you confronted it, I think when, when it's an Indian guy versus some white middle-class German person, mm -hmm. it's, the, the dynamics different but when i was like what are you talking about man like <laughs> like it's like it just made like sort of it didn't shout at him i was just like what are you talking about why do you care yeah oh it smells different and i'm like oh boohoo <laughs> blue cheese like, mate and just sort of yeah and just sort of made them as like kind of like i think just saying that and they were like oh right maybe oh maybe that isn't like maybe it isn't the problem and it wasn't like I was like kind of getting on my high horse going, we all have to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Like of all the things you could be concerned about, that isn't something that really needs to concern but you. But that was it's... a confrontation, Nick. I mean, you, you chose to confront him. Mm. And and that has to be done. I mean, it's not that I we, are always, we always want other people to change their minds and, uh, uh, and hold hands and run through the cornfields. Or... Yeah. The lavender fields. I don't think you can run through cornfields. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, we've got some corn here somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Where's everyone else? Mm. So, um, the point is not to change someone's mind. The point is mm. they, uh, you put something out there and here is a different way of looking at it. And yeah. here is why your way of looking at it perpetuates abuse. 
Do you think so? Yeah, that uh, that needs to be said. It doesn't matter to me whether Paul Golding is going to change his mind or not. I mean, I can't I can't say say that you're wrong in saying that. I just kind of think that the, the assumption that social media is a is a battleground in which these things can actually be fought is is an illusion. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. Th- I think you've got to do. You've got to. You've got to do something active in real life. Uh, when you see, it is part of real life. I don't, but I just don't think. I just don't think it is. I don't think. I don't think social media. I certainly don't think Twitter is reflective of people's. I think it's a tool to for outrage, and I think that's ultimately what a lot of people use it for mm. to outrage people, to mm. shock people. It's mm. how it's how all these parties work. It's how the right in Britain works. It's exactly the same process in in the US. Exactly the same process in the UK. And and I don't think engaging with it in that level is has ever worked it hasn't worked since 2016 and that's my kind of awareness point where i saw things shift and it's because of brexit obviously and that maybe is is why i think about 2016 for you it's a much longer journey i think than, Mm. than it is for me but i just think that whether you're outraged or you agree with it Mm. you're still promoting it and what if we don't promote it what if we ignore it what if you don't give it brand width well, exactly. You just don't give it the oxygen of publicity. A 35k account that retweets a Britain First tweet mm-hmm. and says, "Oh, this is outrageous and disgusting." Well, what you've done is expose that to 30 odd thousand people. You know, like you've you've just spread it. You've made it larger. Mm-hmm. Like, but like I say, like you 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 show which side you're on. You frame it. That's the point of retweeting. Uh, granted, not everyone is going to see it that way, and uh, people you don't want seeing that, uh, you know, for some people it's more fuel to the fire, and yeah. you don't want it to get there. But uh, uh, these discussions about people and food and making fun of people, the smell of food, the way other people eat, what people eat, it's it exists anyway, regardless mm. of whether someone uh, retweets Golding or not. And to me, it's a discussion worth having. I think discussions are worth having for sure. I just don't know whether um, engaging with these people helps. And I'd be interested to hear what listeners think for sure mm. on this topic. I mean, do let us know what you think about uh, what are your processes for doing, for dealing with this stuff. Do you ignore it? Do you do you go after it? I'd really be interested to hear what the opinions are because at the moment, I'm kind of of the opinion that, yeah, like it's it's best just just not to engage with it Mm -hmm. certainly not on social media but to engage with it on a personal level when you're in face to face so last week we spent a a decent amount of time and and, and similar this week we spent a decent amount of time discussing the promotion of of far-right ideas and we've talked at a Mm. personal level but last week we were talking about certainly the 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 spread of the rfd's message by right of center parties like the cdu Mm -hmm. and the csu and lo and behold what do we have over the weekend is uh, the perfect example of what we were discussing last week look i'll be honest I'm sick of talking about Marcus Söder, who's the minister president of Bayern and self-professed enemy of woke. And at this point, I feel like I'm kind of running some bizarro PR project for Söder. Uh, the more we talk about the crap um, he gets up to, the more he keeps appearing in news stories. And it kind of feels like after the discussion we've just had that I'm kind of doing 
doing his work for him. But I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention what happened over this weekend. I get the fact that you're kind of tired talking about Marcus Söder, but don't you think it's also uh, like every week he does something or every week he's involved in something massively crappier than the previous one? And mm. you talk about him every week too. And I think you're just manifesting crap for him in the universe, Nick. I think you should pat yourself on the back for that. I don't know if I am, man. I feel like I'm doing in, the, in on the podcast what I've railed against doing online, and that's my always my concern. But like, I accept that often I'm a hypocrite as much as anybody else. But it felt so like pertinent to what we were discussing. If I'm manifesting crap on the shoulders of Marcus Serta, then I'll feel like job done. But um, we saw exactly our discussion last week about this idea of right of center parties taking right wing talking points and trying to use them. And it feels like that's like the worst strategy that can possibly be employed. We saw it happen in the UK and it's something I've I've talked about frequently on the podcast. Sri Lanka. Yeah, exactly. Right. But this is actually, again, it just keeps happening. And so this one's pretty hard to ignore. And uh, I have kind of 13,000 reasons why we have to talk about Serta this week. Mm -hmm. uh, as some of you may know, there was a large gathering in the Bavarian city of Erding at the weekend, ostensibly to protest against proposed changes that would mean that oil and gas boilers are phased out in Germany by the end of the decade. And this has been a long running and frankly, quite anemic and stupid debate that seems to be kind of the information that is shared by the media and on TV shows, as we mentioned last week, seems to be so lacking in the detail. And it's creating outrage and creating anger in a lot of a lot of people. And uh, this this protest was given the idiotic title of "Stop the Heizungsideologie" or "Stop the Heating Ideology," which already seems like a fucking stupid uh, like name for a yeah. for anything like heating ideology. It's like Jesus Christ, we're just trying to phase out carbon emitting kind mm -hmm. of uh, systems in our homes. Like it's not the fucking end of the world. Absolutely. Um, and what you saw in Erding was 13,000 people rallying for this supposed cause. And it was like a Trump rally. That's what it looked like to me. It was like a Trump rally in Germany uh, in all but name. And instead of the orange menace on stage, there were just yeah. a series of speakers from right-wing um, positions, uh, one of which was the right-wing politician Herbert Eivanger, or Eivanger, uh, as I think the the Bavarians might say, who's the leader of Bavaria's junior co coalition partners, the Freiwiller. Um, also, the FDP turned up, FDP leader in Bavaria, Martin Hagen, turned up. I believe he's one of the deputies of the FDP party nationally. And of course, if you're bringing politicians together to spread the message of right-wing politics, then of course, Mr. Marcus Söder turned up as well to give his two cents. Dilly, can you guess the reaction from the crowd when they saw Marcus Studer come onto the stage and start speaking. Can you imagine? He's standing, he's a sort of right of center, CSU, minister president, anti-woke, anti-veganism, anti-the future, anti-everything, Mr. Traditionalist, speaking to a crowd of people who are fighting the future and trying to keep their traditions and blah, 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 blah. What do you think the reaction was when Studer took the stage? I think they all went, one of us. One of us. You would think so, right? Uh -huh. You would think that would be he'd be broadly welcomed. And as we said, we talked last week about the, how dangerous it was for Germany that so many right of centre politicians seem to be stealing talking points from the AfD. Well, 
Soda was roundly booed by the audience, uh, so much so that the organizers had to stop his speech and say to the crowd, like, hey, come on, guys, why won't you celebrate this this, this great guy that we have uh, on stage? There was, uh, the, basically, the crowd sort of hated him, and this sort of right-wing group of people didn't like the the kind of right wing talking points that he was he was offering for a variety of different reasons, and I think this desperate group of thirteen thousand people it was pretty clear what their opinions were when you saw the signs they had. They had signs criticizing climate ripoff was one of them. Mm. Some of them had like death to the greens. Uh, there's another one that had get out of who uh, the World Health Organization. Uh-huh. So Oosh. we've got like COVID deniers oh, in there. Oh, vaxxers Oh, anti-vaxxers. We had free, there was another one that said peace, which I guess is referring to uh, the war in Ukraine. Mm. Which is obviously we've got people, and uh, it seems at this point anyone who's gone like we need peace is kind of like doing Russia's job for them. Our country first was another one, and you don't force us to do anything was another one. And so we had lots of like disparate groups coming together to to boo Marcus Sud, and he had a very difficult time giving his speech. And he tried to distance his position from the RFD, and he was booed a bit more. He accused the people who were booing him of undemocratic behavior. One person shouted from the crowd, get lost. And uh, Marcus Söder replied, get lost yourself. And it all became a little bit petty. But it was the perfect example of what we're saying. <laughs> like, you can't take their talking points and assume they're gonna you're going to win votes with it. That's what and he, he came that- up with, with a law degree yeah. behind him. That's what he came <laughs> up with. Shut He's up yourself. Herr Dr. Söder. And uh, there was another one. He said also that anyone who whistles doesn't belong with us in Bavaria. Um, What's wrong with whistling? Again, well, well, the whistling is yeah, yeah, him particularly, yeah. But okay, but one, thing, one thing is, like, why would he turn up at an IFD event and then go... Uh, then and then tell people that they're being undemocratic? What, what was the point? Why would he be there and then also distance himself? Yeah, I, I guess I guess the reason Marcus sort of goes to this event is he believes that he's going to get a, a fine reception because I think in his mind that he, see, he sees these are his people and and it's just it's just not the case. And what would be interesting is to see his reaction afterwards. It's been very quiet over the last few days, and I wonder whether he's having a rethink about his choices he's made in this particular campaign because the person who got the the biggest reception was his deputy. Herbert Ivanger, who is who is from this coalition party, the Freier Wähler, he got a, a wild reception. Um, not initially, they booed him as well initially, but eventually, he, he what he had to say sort of resonated with the crowd, mm. and he had this whole this whole line about taking back democracy. And I'm like, fuck, we've heard this line before, haven't we? Taking back democracy, we've got to take back control. Oh wait, that's Brexit. Um, make make America great. I mean, that's Trump. Yeah. Um, so it, it did feel a little bit like a shit Trump tribute act when um, Herbert Ivanger, this kind of firebrand deputy within the, uh, the the coalition in Bavaria, said things like they can use the new heating pump law to light the fireplace and Berlin chaos. And it was like a kind of, bull- I think somebody had described it as bullshit bingo for fake news. Uh, and so... Um, there's a lot of, of obviously opposition to it, but I don't know. I just thought it was it was again another example of of everything we've talked about last week coming true over the weekend. And it's like, well, maybe um, maybe Dilly, you can tell us what the lottery numbers are going to be because if we're that good at predicting things, then maybe we can make ourselves a bit of money out of all this and buy a freaking island, perhaps. 
I was gonna say buy more zucchini plants, but sure, an island sounds good. <laughs> When you, uh, when you think about the future, what do you see? I see flying cars and hoverboards, but then I'm a product of the 80s and 90s, and it's kind of hard not to think of Back to the Future 2 as the basic standard of aspiration for the world of tomorrow. Maybe that's just me, though, because in Nuremberg and Furt over the last few days, people were given a taste of the type of future they may not ever have expected. There was a church service for the first time in Germany conducted by AI and with on-screen avatars. You could be forgiven for wondering what the hell I'm talking about, but the Evangelische Kirchentag was held in Furt and Nürburg. And one of the, the, the major events being a trial run of religion via chat GBT. So Dilly, are you ready to praise the Lord in a series of ones and zeros? I'm trying to recover from learning this news. I hadn't known it before, Nick. My life as I know has ended. It was very peaceful. Do, do you not like the idea of having sermons by AI? Is that not something that is attractive? Do you not feel like going going back to to religion because because the uh, the mind of the internet is teaching you about God? I grew up on the sermons. <laughs> I grew up analyzing the sermons of the Sri Lankan Baptist Church. <laughs> right. I imagine they weren't IA produced. There's Sri Lanka in it. There's Baptist in it. Yeah, I mean, we, I had the uh, Anglican upbringing, so I have we have a similar experience. You've had that too. Okay, I sympathize. I mean, it can only get worse, right? I mean, you'll have had this experience where the cool pastor turns up with his guitar and starts singing like Christian rock songs. Yes. Uh, to try and engage the young people. I, I had that experience Hallelujah. before. <laughs> oh, no. Hallelujah. Oh, no. The amount of times I've heard that. They turned that For into a Christian song. And I look yeah. at my brother because I'd bet, I'd bet with him already that one day if they hear Hallelujah in any song, they'll turn it into a Christian song. And we sang that in church. Yeah, there's a lack of irony there for sure. So um, yeah, theologian uh, Jonas Similine prepared this special service and he fed the AI system ChatGBT with some key data. And he said, uh, he told it that it's uh, it's the Evangelical Church Congress 2023 in Nuremberg and Fert, and then asked ChatGBT to hold service with the sermon title, AI is not omniscient, you have to give it training wheels. And so that was the kind of input he got, he got. And what he got out was was what was what was on screen. And it's although it's just a test, the congregation for the event were less than impressed, almost very similar to Dilly and I. Some said it was too impersonal. One person said it was incredibly boring. And Similine himself said of the service, most people will say, I would like to have someone up front who is mortal. Tell me about it. Uh, who also has experienced grief, etc. That's why it won't be that interesting for many people. But that doesn't mean that things don't change. Uh, and that's a fair, reasonable position to take. So it seems a long way from the fire and brimstone pastors of centuries ago, Dilly. Your data will be deleted isn't really the same as you will burn in hell, is it? So what's going to be the communion? I don't know. Maybe it's like uh, you uh, a USB stick. <laughs> a USB stick and a Red Bull. Yeah, and a Red Bull. Nah, man, Monster Energy. It'll be Monster Energy for sure. That's what the uh, those programmers <laughs> are drinking. Um, it wasn't the only innovation, though, Dilly, before we sort of poo-poo it all. They even tried out some interesting concepts. Instead of using communion wine at one service, 
during the Kirkentag. They offered non-alcoholic gin and tonic. What? And all this was in, yeah, exactly. It's all in the aid of uh, of, of presenting the church as more modern and cool. Um, Why non-alcoholic? That was my question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you exactly. serve wine. If, if there's one place you need a gin and tonic, it's in church, right? Uh, you uh, serve congregation... wine. Why would you go non-alcoholic on the other thing? <laughs> I'm not protesting yeah, the no, gin it's... and tonic. A tonic in this summer could be really good. I know. I think it's uh, outside church, gin and tonic. I could buy into that. Um, but congregation numbers are dwindling across the country. So, uh, um, yeah, maybe maybe a gin and tonic will get you in the mood for for a little bit of prayer, Dilly. It's, what do you think? I'm, I'm really having Sri Lanka Baptist Church flashbacks here. <laughs> well, maybe we can start our own decades from home church with uh, with with free alcoholic gin and tonics. And we can, I don't know, um, sing our favorite 80s German uh, pop hits. Or do some Deutsch rap, maybe. That's a good point. We can recruit Simon's cat. <laughs> I've been looking for some way to include that animal. <laughs> That brings us to the end of the show. We are going to found a church and Marco Serra is already banned. Yeah, you're not invited. Get out! If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify, so chuck some stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home, all lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, as ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algamer, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Cheers! Cheers.